0: Stories, Fables, Ghostly Tales. Welcome, my lovelies, to your remastered old-time Radio Monday. Here at Stories, Fables, Ghostly Tales. Now, Nigel Bruce is back, folks. Last episode, his stand-in was present, and he did an admirable job, but this time, good old Nigel is back And great googly moogly is it good to hear his voice again. In today's tale, not is as it seems. And a hidden message in a newspaper advert sent to Sherlock garners his attention and pulls him to the location of what appears to be a normal household. Far from it. What he uncovers there is a veiled existence in the singular affair of the Baconian cipher. Remastered. For your lovelies, using artificial intelligence to clean up the audio, I hope you love it as much as I loved fixing it. Enjoy.
1: Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce on the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, Invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that Master Detective Sherlock Holmes. And I want to ask you something. You know, every now and then I've told you about the good old American custom of serving a glass of sherry before dinner, particularly Petri California sherry. And I wonder if you've tried that Petri sherry. Really, a glass of Petri sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. Petri sherry is clear, fragrant, and truly delicious. It's a wonderful wine whose flavor is the essence of luscious, sun-ripened grapes. And Petri makes two kinds of sherry wine, a regular sherry and Petri Pale Dry. If you don't know which you prefer, try them both. Don't buy one, buy two. But remember, always buy Petri, because Petri wine is always good wine. Well, I'm sure Dr. Watson's ready for us. Let's go in and join him, shall we?
2: Come in, come
1: in, come in. Good evening, Mr. Bartow. Evening, Doctor. Quite willing, quite wanted. Right the dogs good seem boy. very pleased with themselves tonight. Did they have a good day?
2: Yes, the three of us did, my boy. Go on, run off, run off on the patio. I took a seven iron and some old golf balls on the beach this afternoon. I improved my game, I think, and the dogs had a great time chasing the golf balls. On the way home, the little rascals had a furious battle with an elderly pelican. <laughs>
1: so their day was complete. I'll have to join you on one of your afternoon strolls, Doctor. Then the dog seemed to have so much fun. Oh, I'll be glad of your company, Mr. Bartell. Well, draw up your usual chair,
2: and I'll get on with tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure.
1: From the hints you gave us last week, I guess a Frenchman played a prominent part in the story.
2: Yes, indeed he did, Mr. Bartell. His name was Francois Navia. He was a detective of some note in his own country the time my story begins, it was in 1889, to be exact, the had come over to London to discuss with Holmes the difficulties of translating some of his monographs into the French language. At this particular time, I was in the early days of my marriage, Mr. Bartell, and this fact, combined with a busy practice, meant that I saw very little of my old friend.
1: He must have missed you, Doctor. Oh,
2: indeed he did. Well, of course, he never admit the fact, but, uh, but to get on with my story... One cloudless June afternoon, I found myself in the neighborhood of Baker Street, and I couldn't resist paying a visit to Holmes. Mrs. Hudson was out, but uh, having retained my old latch key, I let myself in and mounted the familiar stairs. It gave me a strange feeling as I raised my hand to knock on what once had been my own living room door. Come in, come in, Oh, hello, Holmes. Holmes. Oh, I, I beg your pardon, I didn't know you... Watson, my dear fellow, how oh, very nice to <laughs> see you <laughs> again. It's great to see you, Holmes. I, I'm i sorry I interrupted you. I, no. I
3: didn't know that you had company. Not at all, my dear fellow, we're delighted, aren't we, Lévière? Hey, Watson, oui. this is uh, Monsieur Lévière. Well, how do you do, sir,
4: how do you do? Enchanté, monsieur. You wish to meet the so charming Dr. Watson. Holmes has told me a great deal about you. Oh,
3: that's very nice of you, sir. Uh-huh. Ah, yeah. <laughs> that is. suits you, Watson. You look splendid, old fellow. Gained a little weight, haven't you? Oh, yes,
2: a few pounds, I mean. Here comes you. Sit down, won't you? Uh, You sure that I'm not interrupting you in some important discussion? Oh, no, 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 mon cher docteur.
4: We were having a good-natured argument on the relative abilities of the French criminal compared to the
3: English. Oh, interesting. (laughs) You must lend me your support, Watson. Monsieur, le VI is convinced that the English criminal is a very dull dog indeed.
2: Well, we've met some... Ah, from dull ones in our time, I assure you, monsieur Lévière. Ah, the exceptions rather than the
4: rule I fear,
3: mon
2: cher docteur. <laughs> you're stubborn, aren't you, Lévière?
4: <laughs> Believe me, my dear friend, that I will yield to no one in my admiration of your knowledge and skill. That is why I wish I could persuade you to practice in Paris. Ah, there you would find opponents really worthy of your steel. What can happen to interest you in this land of grey frogs, uh, boiled potatoes and uh, pots of tea? It is
2: before my myself, sir, <laughs> <so> you... <laughs> You're not very flattering. Oh, not be so insular, Wadley. Oh, I meant no offense, my friend. Well, you say that the English criminal is dull. Well, perhaps if you were to read a published story of mine called A Study in Scarlet, you'd think differently. It tells of a very exciting adventure that Holmes and I had. I have read it, my friend. Oh
4: An extremely gripping story, but surely you will admit that the crime was
3: essentially of American origin. (laughs) He's right, Watson. He's perfectly right, dear me. What can I do to vindicate the dishonor of the London criminal? Let me see. Oh, yes, yes, of course. A copy of today's Times. That's fine. I shall introduce you to a section known as the Agony Column. Where is it now? Oh, yes, here we are. This should convince you of the color and variety of English life?
4: The agony column? Mm-hmm. It sounds most painful. Uh, what is it, pray? A
2: personal column is liable to contain anything from a lover's frantic appeal to his lady love to a ransom note. In my profession,
3: I've frequently found it an invaluable medium for contacting the underworld. Uh-huh. Yes, now, here we are. Here's something. Uh, dear me. Oh, dear, no. Today's column seems rather uninspired, I'm afraid. Uh, may I examine it? Of course. Here you are. Merci. Um,
4: if the lady who helped my little boy across the road at the corner of Threadwell Street and High Auburn last Wednesday at four uh, will get in touch with Box 845, she will learn of something to her advantage.
2: <laughs>
4: it can be more colorful than that in Paris, my friend. Yes, I think we
3: can do better than that, too. Now look at this,
2: William. must have been half asleep when he set up the type for this advertisement. Will any gentleman interested in discussing. Photography and cipher writing, please communicate with XQL 696
4: the time. Oh, I failed to find this message any more stirring than the preceding one. You notice the execrable printing, don't you? Indeed I do. It is all mixed up. The first word, will, starts with a capital W and a capital I. The second word, any, starts with a small a,
3: and then has a capital N and Y. It is a shocking example of typography. And when it occurs in a paper noted for its excellence in typesetting, one realizes that uh, this is no mistake.
4: What do you mean, Holmes? Huh?
3: This is undoubtedly a code message. Oh, 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 oh,
4: come now, my friend. I defy even you to make a mystery out of the printer's negligence. I accept your challenge, my
3: dear L'Evillard. If you recall, the Baconian bilateral cipher depends upon the use of two sizes of type. If we group the letters in units of five, the arrangements of small and capital letters within the group should give us the message. Now, let's see. Two capitals followed by three small gives us the letter H. Then two capitals, one small, two more... That uh, gives us E, H... I still think you are trying to make an adventure
4: out of a mere printing accident. Uh,
3: no mere printing accident could so readily fall into one of the great traditional ciphers. Now, let's see. This message reads help. Uh, Q, too small, Q-U-I, Quilter, help Quilter, um, L, L, too small and large, Elms, help Quilter, Elms, there it is, yes, Penge, help Quilter, Elms, Penge. Help Quilter, Elms, Penge,
2: what does that mean? Presumably that a man named Quilter who lives at a house called the Elms in the village of Penge needs help. Ah, I see it now. A
4: helpless victim held prisoner. He smuggles out this message as a a harmless personnel, uh, with strict instructions that it be printed on this art form. He knows that the amateurs of cryptography to whom it is addressed will decipher this call for help. Et voilà.
2: Mr. Lovia, you seem ready to grant that adventure can exist in London, after
3: all. The advantage, my dear Watson, of a more mercurial temperament than we Englishmen possess. Well, Lovia, what about it? Shall we set off for Penge and rescue the ingenious Mr. Quilter from whatever dire fate awaits him in the elms? I'm all in patience. Mm. Splendid. Watson... I suppose you're too busy to join us. Uh, too busy? Well, I mean, your practice, I'm sure that you have
2: patience. Oh, to yes, 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 of course, yes. Sir. As a matter of fact, I have two further visits to make today one to a peppery old miser who has gout, and the other to a wealthy society woman who has acute attack of hypochondria, as they call it. Two places with a to help both provide. My... I'm coming with you, Holmes, if you want me. Bravo, Watson. Then grab your hat and coat. The game's afoot.
3: Here you are, gents. The Helm's pink. Nice afternoon for a drive, wasn't it? Pretty little afraid it'll cost you 15, Bob, though. There's a sovereign for you. You can keep the change. Me, thank you, governor.
4: Top of the evening to you, gents.
2: Uh, so, uh, this is the Elms, eh? Quite a bit of land for such a modest neighbourhood. Uh,
4: to call it the Elms seem remarkably inapropos. I-, I cannot see an Elm tree in
3: sight. So, you see, Livia, the English have more imagination than you give them credit for. Are you just going to walk up to the front door and knock, Holmes? Why not? The direct approach is often the most
4: satisfactory. Oh, you disappoint me. I had hoped that perhaps you would adopt one of the disguises in which you are so adept, I am told. Well,
3: since it's unlikely that these people know me by sight, that's hardly necessary, is it? However, I trust that this little problem may reward you with some colorful highlights before we. No. Th- oh. Great Scott. Revolver
2: shots.
4: It came from the house. Ah, we're too late. Mr. Coulter has been murdered. No, I think not.
3: You will observe that the next door neighbor to the Elms was mowing his front lawn as we drove up. He is still engaged in the same occupation. Obviously, revolver shots attract little attention, this
4: my simply. Mon Dieu, you mean that violence and sudden death are so common that they do not attract even the passing
3: Uh, uh, interest? uh, uh, I know we are. (laughs) Even the British are not as phlegmatic as that.
2: Then what is the answer to those shots, huh? Some member of this household is addicted to pistol practice.
3: The fact that a shooting target is nailed to the back of that fence over there would further support the theory.
2: That's rather ominous, in my opinion. Well, hear me out the front door.
3: Let's keep our wits about us anyway.
2: Are you carrying a revolver, Dr. Watson? No, an no stethoscope, I'm afraid. I was prepared for sickness when I left the house today and not for crime. Mm, I,
3: too, am an arm. How about you, Mr. Holmes? Only a magnifying glass, I'm afraid. Hardly a very lethal weapon.
5: Yes?
2: My friends
3: and I were calling on Mr. Coulter.
5: Oh? Who are you? And my name is Sherlock Holmes,
3: and these are my friends. Dr. Watson and Monsieur Le How, do you, How
5: do, do you do, madam? How do you do? Mr. Quilter expects I
3: don't know. We uh, read his advertisement in the agony column of the Times today and came down here
5: at once. Are you uh, a relation of his? I'm his niece. Oh. My name is Doris Favisham. Come in, won't you? Uh, Miss Favisham, I suppose it is. Yes, doctor. It's Miss Favisham. Uh, we uh, heard three revolver shots as we
2: were walking up the driveway. They... It gave us quite a start. Yes, mademoiselle. We were
4: afraid that we might have arrived at a time of tragedy. Yes, indeed.
5: Tragedy? Oh. <laughs> My hobby is revolver shooting. I was doing some target practice in the back garden Ooh. as you arrived.
3: Revolver shooting, Miss Fabisham? Very interesting. I flatter myself that I'm something of a marksman myself.
5: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, perhaps we can have a match. Won't you sit down?
3: There? Your challenge intrigues me, Miss Fabisham, but uh, before I accept it, I should like to see Mr. Quilter.
5: Well, Uncle George is paralyzed, you know. Oh, Spends all his time in a wheelchair. I'm not at all sure he'll see you. Well, at least you can ask him, can't you, Miss Fabisham? It is his custom at this time of the day to take a little nap. Perhaps tomorrow. Doris, yes. Doris. Oh, he's still well awake. Who's this? Yes, Mr. uncle. Here. Some men have come to see you, uncle. Uh, bring him in. Bring him in. Follow me, gentlemen. Uncle, this is Mister Sherlock Holmes, Doctor Watson, and Monsieur. Uh,
6: Monsieur...
5: Le huh? Monsieur Le Villard. Uh, How's
6: you do, sir? Yeah. How do you do? Sherlock Holmes, eh? Took you long enough to decipher my message and get here, didn't it? Your brother's a much faster worker, isn't he? Oh, what makes you say that, Mr. Quilter? Receive this telegram from at 11 o'clock this morning. Read it for yourself. You.
3: <laughs> well, what do you say, huh? Suggest you consult my brother, Sherlock, and it's... Signed by Croft Holmes. Yes, Mr. Quilton. My brother is a much faster worker, or shall we say that he suffers from the unfortunate habit of early rising? He undoubtedly read the agony
6: column three hours before I did today. I don't know about that, but I've been expecting you all day. I imagine you know why I inserted that advertisement. Well, I had the impression that uh, you were under some form of restraint, that uh, you were in need of a rescue party, as it were. Rubbish. Hmm? My advertisement was a piece of subtle bait. The only person that could decipher the message would obviously be someone who knew the Baconian cipher. Very logical deduction, Mr. Quilter. You see, I'm convinced, as any sensible man should be, that the so called Shakespearean plays were written by Sir Francis Bacon. Oh, I see. But I felt that it needed a clever man to prove the fact.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: I was sure that anyone who was able to decipher my message was the man I needed. And what do you take, Mr. Holmes, to do the job? I'm a rich man. Name your fee. Do you mean
2: to say that you inveigled Mr. Holmes down here just to do some research? On the origin of Shakespeare's work? You needn't look so shocked, Dr. Watson. uh,
5: My uncle has offered to pay him a handsome fee. Well, Mm -hmm. what do you say,
2: Mr. Sherlock Holmes? An interesting
3: subject for research. I'll concede that Ignatius Donnelly and others have proved almost beyond doubt that William Shakespeare of Stratford-on-Avon did not write the plays, but I greatly doubt that Lord Bacon did. I may devote my leisure and later years to some investigation on the subject, but in the meanwhile, Mr. Groton, I'm afraid I'm much too busy to undertake such an assignment. Oh, please, yourself. Show the gentleman
6: out, Doris. Goodbye, sir. Oh, night, sir.
5: Too bad you had this long drive down here for nothing, gentlemen.
4: Yes, uh, I quite agree on it. It would seem to me well, that your uncle has a distinct talent for practical joking, mademoiselle.
5: Uncle? <laughs> uncle never made a joke in his life. Mr. Holmes, now that you're here, perhaps you'd like to indulge in a little shooting match.
3: Thank you, Miss Favisham, but um, as I told your uncle, I'm a busy man. Good evening to you.
5: Goodbye, gentlemen. Oh,
3: Goodbye.
2: Uh, Holmes, old fellow, you're, you're losing your touch. You'd never made a blunder like this if I'd still been with you. <laughs> it is comforting for an
4: aspiring detective like myself to know that the great Sherlock Holmes is fallible. Yes,
3: indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Then am I to assume that I must continue the case alone?
2: What do you mean continue the case? There isn't, uh, there isn't one. Quilter's
3: well, in no danger. He's in desperate danger. What? I'm only afraid I may be too late to save him. But we have just spoken to the man. Oh, no. Did either of you notice the traces of fresh loam on the boots of that supposedly paralyzed man? Gentlemen, I fear the agony column has led us to murder.
1: Doctor, why did you have to break off your story there? Well, I had to break it off somewhere, Mr. Bartell, and that seemed to be the most exciting spot. It certainly was. I was convinced that the great Sherlock Holmes had been fooled for once. What happened next?
2: Well, my boy, needless to remark, we did not get into a cab and go back to London, but let me pick up the story at the same place that I broke it off. As Holmes said,
3: gentlemen, I feel the agony column has led us to murder. Murder? There was fresh earth on the soles of his boots, you say? Distinct traces proving that the man in the wheelchair was not paralyzed. That man,
4: whoever he is, was impersonating Quilter to put us off the track. And the real Quilter may have been killed.
3: I'm afraid so. Let's stop here for a moment, shall we, while we make our plans. This hedge will hide us from the house in case they're watching from the windows. Now, this isn't a hard picture to reconstruct. There undoubtedly is or was a paralyzed Baconian scholar named Quilter. He managed to smuggle out that ingenious plea for help, but Mycroft's unfortunate telegram gave the game away. Mm Mm-hmm. I see it now. The people in there, holding him prisoner, forced him to reveal what he has done. eh? What they may have done to him, heaven alone knows. One of the criminals, guessing from the telegram that I might appear on the case, posed as the crippled quilter. What's our next move, Holmes? Remember that singularly unattractive young lady's skill with the revolver. We must search the grounds as unobtrusively as we can. Search the
4: grounds? For what? Uh, I can answer that question, Monsieur Doctor. The search for signs of the freshly turned earth of a grave.
2: We didn't find any traces of the poor devil's corpse, thank
5: heavens.
2: No. A
3: great disappointment. I oh, me, you're very bloodthirsty to be yarn. Hello. Look at the old fellow trimming the hedge over there. Mr. the gardener. Let's have a chat with him, shall we? Mm-hmm. May be able to give us some information. Good evening to you. Good evening to you, gentlemen. Really? You work for Mr. Quilter? That I do, sir. That I do. Ah, very fine work, too. I've seldom seen a better kept garden. Why, thank you, sir.
1: I do pride myself in my work. I wonder if you can help me. Be glad to if I can, sir. Now, did you see a
3: telegraph boy deliver a message here this morning? That I did, sir. The boy came here about 10 o'clock this morning. I was a in the front edge at the time. And uh, you've been working here ever since? Yes, sir. Brought my lunch with me today and ate it in the garden. Has anyone entered or left the house since that telegram was delivered? No, sir. No one except yourself. I see, I see. I suppose you occasionally run errands for Mr. Coulter? Not much these days, sir. The poor old gentleman keeps his chair in the house pretty much all the time, sir. I did run a message for him yesterday, oh, though. you did? Where to? Well, sir, I was pruning the rose bushes under his study windows when the window opens and his hand comes out with a message. He told me to take it to the village office of the Times and to tell him to print it just the way it was. He looked kind of worried when he gave me the message. And he he whispered to me. Just mm-hmm. as if he was afraid in his own house. I ah, am Much obliged to you. Here's five shillings for your trouble. Oh, thank you, sir. Much obliged uh, to you, I'm sure. Good evening. Good evening to you, gentlemen. Mm, so that's how the
4: message was smuggled out. Mm. And no one has come to the house or left it since that telegram was
3: delivered. Therefore, Coulter or his body must still be inside that house. We are going to search the house? Yes, we are. But
2: well, we're not armed, and they certainly are. They probably won't even let us in. Yes, they will.
3: We have a... An infallible key to entry, a woman's vanity. Come on.
5: Oh, so you came back. I thought you wouldn't be able to resist my challenge to a pistol match, (laughs) Mr. Holmes.
3: Exactly, Miss Fabisham. We had difficulty in finding a cab and decided to take a train back to London. There's an hour's wait, so I. Well, I thought I'd accept your challenge.
5: Good. Come in. We'll go into the back garden. Thank you. Don't talk loudly. I think Uncle's asleep in the next room. Don't bring anybody in here, guys. I want to sleep. All right, Uncle. This way, gentlemen. If your Uncle wants to sleep, seems a funny sort of alibi. (laughs) Oh, well, he's used to that, Doctor. Here we are. This is the 50 yard range, Mr. Mm -hmm. Holmes. Three shots. Best aggregate score wins. do you want to bet?
3: Huh? You name the stakes, Favisham.
5: Certainly.
3: You uh, take the first three shots?
5: Very well. And let just check that it's loaded. Okay? Six bullets. All right. Here I go.
2: Bravo, Miss Fabersham.
6: Splendid.
5: Who's I? I'm two inners. I can do better. Your turn, Mr Holmes. Doris? Who are these men? Friends of mine. I'll introduce you in a minute, Jeffrey. We're a little bit of a match at the moment. Your turn, Mr. Holmes. The
3: revolver, please. Here you are. Thank you.
5: You, uh, you're sure you know how to handle a revolver?
3: Oh, quite sure, thanks.
5: And why are you pointing it at me?
3: Because I want you to raise your hands above your head. You too, whatever your name is.
5: Doris, who are these men? Put up your hands.
3: I shan't hesitate to shoot, I assure you. Come on. That's it.
5: What in heaven's name do you think you're
3: up to? Finding out what became of the real Mr. Quilter. Search the man, Watson. Right, you homes. Holmes. PR. Uh, go into the house, will you, and search it. Oh,
2: yes, but of course. Hello, this man had a revolver on his hip. Keep him covered with it. He'll stand still, you.
3: Now, sir, who are you? From your resemblance to the man in the wheelchair that we saw earlier, I should say that you're a member of the same family.
5: We're both relatives of Mr. Quilter.
6: That's right. My name's Davis. I'm from the Australian branch of the family.
5: Relatives,
3: yes. And doubtless you stood to inherit his estate in the event of Quilter's death. You moved in on this defenseless old man, terrorized him, lived off him... and finally found it necessary to destroy him.
5: You're talking absolute rubbish. She's showing the truth
3: and you know it. I can tell by your expressions. Move back into the house, both of you. Come on. And keep your hands raised. All right, that's it. Come on. Lead the way into the study. The man posing as Mr. Coulter is still there. We heard him
2: call out as we came in. Yes, we might as well confront the three of them together. Yes, he's still seated in the chair. He seems to be asleep. Villa!
6: Did you find anything? Another trace of the missing man, Monsieur
3: Holmes. Davis, what did you do with Mr. Quilter?
6: I didn't do anything
3: with
5: him. Of course not. He's sitting there in that chair. It's
2: no a good line
3: to us. We know that that man's an imposter. This is a fantastic situation. Nobody has left this house since the telegram arrived, and nobody has come to it, and yet Mr. Coulter has vanished. Lord, how can he sleep through all this talk? you think he'd been drugged. Yeah. We are idiots. You are unquestionably the most promising detective in France, and some people have been kind enough to grant me a similar status in England, and yet my old friend Watson has just solved the case.
2: Well, well nothing. I too happy to... What? Solved it? Well, how? Listen to
3: the breathing of that man in the chair. What? He's been drugged. There sits the real Mr. Quilter. The persecuted victim who sent a cipher message for help. The man we spoke to earlier. Was you, Mr. Davies. Impersonating Coulter. After you'd received us, you took up your disguise, adopted an Australian accent, and then hid your drug victim by placing him in his own wheelchair, knowing that would be the last place we'd look for him.
4: Mm, and they would have kept him here until we had gone and then murdered him.
3: What a devilish plot. Well, what have you got to say for yourselves?
5: It was Jeffrey's idea, not mine. I didn't have anything to do with it.
3: That's a dirty lie. You were in this as much as I am. Oh, this is splendid. This is splendid. Please continue the argument. It'll make interesting evidence in court.
5: You can't take us into
6: court. What you can't? What's the charge? Quilter's still alive, isn't he?
3: When Mr. Quilter revives under Dr. Watson's ministrations, you will be charged, I have no doubt, with attempted murder, abduction, sequestration, duress, and probably several other counts. Monsieur Villar, if you will find us a cab, we'll take these miscreants to Scotland Yard. Our work is done.
1: Well, doctor, that was a fine story. I re- what are you fidgeting for? Fidgeting? Me? Well, I'm expecting a guest. I thought
2: I heard him just now. Uh, There's the front door. A guest?
1: <laughs> now you're being as mysterious as Mister Holmes. Oh, not quite. You
2: see, I ah. Uh... Come in. Dr. Watson, how are you, you old (laughs) rascal? Gregory, my boy, it's great to see you again. Mr. Bartell, meet my friend, Mr. Gregory Hood. Not the Gregory Hood. Mr.
3: Bartell, I like the way you say
2: that. (laughs) Yes, Mr. Bartell, this is the Gregory Hood.
3: Mr. Bartell, if you listen to Dr. Watson, he'll lead you to believe I'm much more important than I am. I'm quite a simple person, really. I'm kind to dogs, just love little children, and always help old ladies
1: cross the street. I also know how to make a fire by rubbing two sticks together.
2: Yes, and unlike my old friend Holmes, you pretend to know very little about criminals and crime, and yet you're one of America's outstanding criminologists. So I've heard.
3: A hobby, Mr. Bartell, a hobby. My real business is importing headquarters San Francisco. Uh, Need any old masters?
1: Perhaps I can sell you a nice piece of jade, or uh, would you rather have a bit of old Balinese sculpture? (laughs) Wait a minute. This is all a little too fast for me. Yes,
2: you learn that Gregory is a little too fast for everybody. Uh, But, Mr. Bartell... I'm sure you'll get to know Mr. Hood a good deal better. You see, as I've told you, I've always wanted to take a trip back to England, and now I have a chance to do so.
1: But, Doctor, uh, won't I see you again?
2: What about our story? Oh, I shall be back in the fall. But meanwhile, I've asked Mr. Gregory Hood to get together with you at this time every week and tell you some of his
1: experiences. Which, of course, makes me feel very important.
2: Mr. Hood, as you know, has been involved in many famous cases dealing in crime. His importing business... And his hobby criminology are a strange combination. I learned that he keeps a diary of these cases, and it's a fascinating book. The
1: Casebook of Gregory Hood. The Casebook of Gregory Hood. Sounds intriguing. Intriguing? Huh. It certainly is. Thank you. Well, then I can tell all our friends, be sure to listen next week at the same time and every Monday night through the summer to the Casebook of Gregory Hood. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story The Sign of Four. Music is by Dean Foster. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series.
0: Folks, another classic, of course, And that duo was nowhere near getting the best of Sherlock Holmes, not even close. Now today, I learned something in my editing tool that let me locate similar cuts, pops, and the dreaded hum that would plague some OTRs. So today, you got to hear this humless and scratchy free. Take a listen at the comparison so you can understand where your support goes. So this is before... Into the house, both of you, come on. And keep your hands raised. All right, that's it. Come on. And this is after.
3: So back into the house, both of you. Come on. And keep your hands raised. All right, that's it. Come on.
0: Now, admittedly, it's a combination of my manual work as well as artificial intelligence to identify the noise and me physically ripping it out. Either way, it produces some amazing results. And this leads me on to my Patreon supporters, who support me with a cup of tea or more a month. Firstly, my Ode Knight Tea Titan, Majestic Megastar Maya, Queen of the Felines. You really are amazing. Thanks to your support, I've been using a new tool called Find Similar that lets me locate with notes and audio pieces in similarity, or audio bytes that share similar problems, and strip those issues out. I've also been specializing in stripping out the noise you heard just now and that my friends takes a fair bit of practice. Practice that you enabled. Thank you Maya for being so very very amazing and giving me access to these kinds of tools. Cheers mate. Leza, Bower, the King of Power Tower, Dudio, thank you for your support. I've been putting your donations aside to cover subscription costs for the show and thanks to you I can cover my annual subscription to Audioboom, which is the service that actually hosts me. It doesn't come cheap, but in a couple of months I can get it paid off completely thanks to you. Thank you for being awesome and taking out the stress when it comes to my host provider. You're brilliant. And my second white tea warlord, Page the Knowledge Sage. Mate thank you for being so brilliant. Your support is also going towards Audioboom subscriptions and also my adobe photoshop subscription yeah a lot of subscriptions but it's thanks to you and lovely supporters like you Paige, that actually sees this podcast nations being fully supported towards production directly so mate every month you help cover those costs and i can produce stress-free when it comes to content creation thank you immensely Paige. you're a superstar and my very special people that support this show every single month as well my illustriously awesome L. Grey enforces. I'm lucky to have Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone Divided by Zero, and Leah Fasig. Thank you all for being bloody amazing. And this Wednesday, I'm going to continue the audiobook Stone in the Stream by Fee Stringer, because many of you are really enjoying that one. And I love listeners like Fee, that send their book straight to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you Wednesday. And as always, listeners, till next we meet.